You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Father, we come to your word. We come uh, maybe ready, maybe not. Some of us, who knows where our hearts are. Um, Maybe having a great week spiritually, maybe not. Um, But we come on this first day of the week because Jesus rose again on the first day of the week. And that's the start. That's hope. So we, we gather on the first day celebrating ultimately hope uh, that tomorrow, that the future is great because of what Christ has done. Um, I pray for our time in your word. I pray that you would help me speak clearly. This is not a, necessarily a popular topic, but it's one that Jesus speaks on a ton and we need to hear it. And so just help me because I certainly need to hear it and I certainly am a sinful man um, and I just need your spirit to fill me. Uh, so that, that your church is built. And Lord, we need your church to be built because we look around at our nation and it is broke. It is broke. And the church needs to be the light of the world right now, Father. You have made us the, the salt of the earth. You have made us the light of the world. Um, and in the midst of hatred, we have hatred and bigotry and, and all sorts of things going on in our country right now, Lord. That is just, it's just sad to see. And so we need... Uh, to represent you well and to walk well in this world. Help us to do that and may your word empower us to do that. That you would sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. That your word is living, it is active, it is sharp as a two-edged sword. It is given to us that it that equips us for every good deed. Uh, it reproves us, it challenges us. So do that now for the name of Jesus, for his reputation, I pray. Amen. All right. We are in Luke chapter 12, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one in front of you. And, and if you have a Bible and you don't bring it, start, all right? It's, it's, you can use your phone, that counts, all right? That counts as a Bible, if you're actually using it and not playing some game, Angry Birds or something. But just, we want to be people of the Word. We want you to be in the Word. We don't want you to rely on the screen, so if you can carry a Bible, if you have a Bible, great, we'll help you get one, but bring it, okay? This is a community Bible church. Right? So it's, it's just important that you bring your Bibles and that we follow along and that you're in it yourself during the week. Um, tomorrow is a big day, right? Right? It's the great solar eclipse. And I'm, I try not to be that guy, y'all. I try not to be that guy, but I'm that guy. Because I used to ride in the back of a truck bed, eat macaroni and cheese, you know, watch cartoons, and I turned out fine. I, I ate MSG for breakfast, and I'm fine. But school's canceled, really, really. And I looked online for Chatham County just to see their, it was not because they wanted them, I mean, yeah, they kind of couched at the end, oh yes, and this is great science for our kids. But really what they said was, it's, we want to keep our kids safe. So we're going to give them an inclement weather day. I'm thinking, I know snow days and I know hurricane days now. But solar eclipse days, <laughs> really. And it, look, and I, I remember this happened when I was in fourth grade, 1984. All right, and now it was, you know, the eclipse only got the East Coast then, so if anybody you got it. But we actually, we didn't cancel school. We actually made shoeboxes and went outside and looked at this puppy, right? I got an amen for that. Jesus is God, nothing. Amen for the boxes. Yes, that's it, right? <laughs> Because it's like, it's dead our soul. But 
I mean, we, we were calling for the apocalypse and everyone's going to burn their brains out. And I'm, I'm not telling you to go look at tomorrow. Don't go look at the thing. Get your glasses if you can find them, whatever. But it just plays into the stereotype. I'm just, I'm sorry that we have a snowflake soft world that we're living in, right? And it's, 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 it's plays into that stereotype. And the thing about stereotypes is if there's a little bit of truth and, and probably mostly not truth, but there's still a little bit of truth right? A little bit of snowflakeness going on, right? We're going to talk about an issue today from the text. It's a stereotype issue. In fact, it's, it's, it's what the church has known for, right? It's that one topic that everyone's like, that's all the church cares about. And is it, is it true? No. But there's probably a little bit of truth, and some churches have abused this topic, right? And we've probably earned it a little bit, but it is a huge topic, Right? One that brings conflict and, and stress and anxiety and idolatry and brokenness in our families and our lives. Um, and so we're going to talk about it because Jesus talks about it. Right? And if you know anything about us as a church, you're visiting, you're new, this is your first time. What we do is we typically work through books of the Bible. So we don't really pick and choose what we want to talk about what we don't. If, if it comes up, we talk about it. So Jesus is going to talk about this issue, and so we're going to talk about it. Right? Not because of the stereotype, but because Jesus seems to think it is important. And so we're going to look at, really, the lion's share of chapter 12 is verses 13 through 34. We're going to cover those portions. I've told you before, as we kind of, second half of Luke, we're kind of moving quickly. It is your job to go read ahead because we're not going to get every single verse in every single chapter. We have bookmarks in the back that tell you what's coming this week. Next week, we are in, guess what chapter? 13. You're geniuses. Okay, great. All right, so we're in 12 this week. You're in 13 next week. All right? But here's what's going on. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. We've seen that. He's pressing down into his disciples and, and, and kind of getting them ready for his departure. And the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the opposition is just getting trumped up. There's more and more and more opposition from these religious leaders. And at the end of 11 and the beginning of 12, you kind of see this come to a head as Jesus goes to a, a guy's house, a Pharisee, and they all are flipping out because Jesus doesn't wash his hands before he eats. And not because of, it had nothing to do with germs, has everything to do with they created all these rules and rituals that you had to ceremonial wash and all these things. And, and Jesus doesn't buy into that because it's not, it's not in the Bible. And they're like, I can't believe you don't eat. He's like, you Pharisees, you, are, you just are hypocrites. You just love to look great. And you love to sit in important spots and you love to do all these things. But you're the one who killed the prophets and all your rules are such a heavy burden. You think you're bringing people closer to God. You're actually pushing them away from God, which again, makes Jesus real popular with these guys. And so in the beginning of chapter 12, he, he tells us there's thousands of people following Jesus and they're just trampling over each other. It's just so crazy. And he tells them, he says, just beware of the leaven of hypocrisy of the Pharisees, this external care about what everyone thinks religion. You just care what I, you fear God who can, who can cast body and soul into hell. Don't, don't fear man. You be bold, right? And so he's teaching his disciples this. And it's in this context we kind of get to our, our lion's share of this passage, right? And, and in all this crowd, there's one guy who's kind of worked himself through the crowd and, and he's trying to get to Jesus, right? And, and he finally, he kind of shows up and he gets there and he's close enough that he can say this. Someone in the crowd says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You got one shot in life. I mean, you, this is the one moment that you get to be close to Jesus, 
right? He is face to face with his creator. And this is, it's not like he just like got there and all of a sudden he spazzed. Like, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. He's like, remember Ralphie in the, the Christmas story? He's like, he can't remember. He wants a Red Ryder BB gun. He's like, oh, what's a, a football? What's a football, right? It's not that moment where he forgets. This was his intent. He was working his way through the crowds so he could get to Jesus because Jesus is the heavy. Jesus, tell my brother to share. And this is obviously the younger brother. Because I'm the older brother, and this is my younger brother. But no, because the older brother would have been the one in charge of the, of the money. And then he would have got the inheritance. Right? And this guy's missing it. And so Jesus responds. He says, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator of you? And that's Jesus' way of saying, you are not roping me into that. That is none of my business. But what he's going to do is he's going to do what he constantly does. He's going to take, take this failing moment... And he's going to make it a teaching moment for his disciples, right? So he turns to everybody and he says, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He gives two commands. And here's, this is where we're talking about the stereotype, right? This is it. Because we're going to talk about money a little bit. And Jesus says, Two commands, be careful, take care, and be on your guard. It's, it's this idea, be vigilant. He uses military terms. Be on your guard, be aware, watch out, be on offense against coveting. That's one of the big 10, right? Big, don't, that, don't, don't covet your neighbors anything. And the idea of coveting is you want something you don't have. It's rooted in greed. It's rooted in idolatry. He says, you have to be on offense. Why? Why does he give this command? Because one's life is not consistent stuff. Life is not about stuff. And, and, and this is a huge danger for us. It is a huge, huge danger that we cannot be passive, that we have to be on offense. Because it is so easy... To be walking there with your wife at night, going on a little walk, you know, a little, you know, kind of just connecting on the day, and you walk by, and you can see your neighbor has the TV of, of your dreams. You can see it from the street, and you can see what he's watching from the street, and you're a mile away, and you can think, I need that. I want that. You can, you can be driving your 07 whatever and your, and your, little, your little friend and your little coffee group, she gets this 2017 and she has, she has seat warmers. And you're thinking, uh, my booty needs a seat warmer. I got cloth. Cloth, whoever, I need, I need my backside to be warm. It's 100 degrees out, but I need my backside to be warm and I want that, right? You're watching the Fixer Upper show. And, you know, and, and they're putting, oh, look how easy, honey, it is to put in granite countertops. You could do that. You could have a saw. <laughs> I'm sure that when Jesus died on the cross, he meant for us to have granite countertops. That's what he died for. It is a huge issue in America. This is why, by the way, if there's an open house in your neighborhood, who's the first person to go in the open house? The neighbors. Right? And some of you women are like, not me. Why? They're not interested in buying a house. They want to see your stuff. See what you got. That's true, by the way. I've seen it. And, and what's the point? 
is that you cannot be passive in this. Here's the irony. We live in the richest, I mean, historically, globally, the richest generation and country ever. Ever. You have a refrigerator in your house. Why? Because you have more food than you can eat in one day. You have a pantry because you have to store the food you have. This is not the way it has been in the world. In 1950, the average house in America was 1,000 square feet. In the 70s, it was 1,500 square feet. In the 2000s, it was 2,200 square feet. I don't even know what it is today. Family sizes are actually down 25% and houses are up 50%. Right? We are rich. Booming business is storage facilities so that we can put the stuff that we don't want somewhere. In fact, the irony of that whole deal, by the way, is the average house in America is, I mean, in the world is actually made like a storage unit. It's about the same size. It's made of variegated tin brick and it doesn't have a toilet, just like the storage facilities. That, that's the rest of the world. That's India. That's China. And my point is not to feel guilty, although we get upset because we have to drink tap water. Oh my goodness, I can't believe we ran out of Dasani. Honey, you need to run to the store. And the world is, doesn't have indoor plumbing. And, and, and the reason this is significant is because Jesus says it is big and you need to guard your heart now. You need to be on guard. You need to be on offense. You need to fight this junk. And it is junk. And he's going to give a parable to illustrate. Look what he says, verse 16. He told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Understand that the problem is not that this guy is rich. The problem is not that he is successful. Okay, Jesus is not down on success. He is not down on stuff. He's not down on rich people. Some of the most precious saints in the Bible, Abraham, David, Solomon, New Testament, Lydia, Philemon, Zacchaeus, they were rich. So he's not speaking about how rich people bad, poor people good. That's not his point. So don't go there. Right? But he says, what do I do? I have, I have nowhere to store my crops. Here, here's a problem that most of us don't have. This guy's so rich. He's so rich. He's like, I don't, I don't know where to put all my riches. And we're thinking, I'll, I'll trade his problems for my problems. I'll figure out how to handle that with, as I drive my Ferrari down Abercorn. Because <laughs> right? we think we can handle it. Right? I was thinking about this this morning. Remember Lord of the Rings? Everyone wants the ring because they think they can handle it, and the ring destroys them. All right? It destroys them. And the only way to get rid of it is to destroy the ring. That's what the desire for riches is. We think we can handle it. Yeah, they can't handle it, but I can. I don't know any statistics, but I would bet that there's more rich people that commit suicide than poor people. I, I, don't, I don't know, but I, I would bet that's the case. Because it's emptiness is what the point is. And so this guy's like, I, 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 don't, I, I, got, I got nowhere to store my crops. And he says, oh, I'll, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. Solution, done. I, got, I just need bigger houses, that's what I need. And then I'll store all my grain and my goods and I'll say to my soul, now he's talking to himself, which shows how crazy he really is. Soul, which means he's alone, by the way. He doesn't have a wife. You don't see a wife. You don't see kids. You don't see family. He says, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now you can be happy. 
You got everything you need. You're going to live a long time. You're going to retire. Isn't it going to be great? Like, I love that many years, Jesus says. Think about it. Many years. And he, God said to him, you are a fool. This night, your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? Whose gets them now? You don't get no kids. You don't get no wife. Where's it going? All right? And he gives this conclusion. So is the one who lays treasure up for himself and is not rich towards God. And the problem of the text is not stuff, okay? The problem is not having barns. The problem is not consuming. He, he, nothing, he didn't say about anything about consuming or squandering. He actually is not down on being rich. He actually says he wants you to be rich, doesn't he? He says there is a riches that you want. It's none of those. What is the problem with this guy actually? Here's the irony. His problem is saving, isn't it? I need more. I got to stir it up. Bigger barns. And, and I know all the retirement people are like, don't tell people not to save because that's your job. So the Bible is very clear. We should save. All right. It, 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 we're not talking about being wise, storing up for the future. I'm not saying you shouldn't save. That's not the point. But his point is that if you think your life is about getting stuff and getting more and you pour yourself into that and have hope in that and you put your trust in that, he says you are a fool because life is not about that. The goal is to be rich towards God. That's the goal. All right, this is where the pro prosperity heresy falls into play. They say the goal is to get rich here. The irony is the only one getting rich is the guy at the top of that pyramid scheme, right? The guy that you're giving the money to. He's getting rich, everyone else is getting poor. The goal is rich towards God. And we got four options in this world. You got four. You're one of these four. You can be rich here and poor in the kingdom. You can be poor here and poor in the kingdom. You can be rich here and rich in the kingdom. You can be poor here and rich in the kingdom. Those are the only four options. And you can't really do much about the first one probably. I mean, maybe you can a little bit. But the second one you can do. You can, you can determine how you're going to be in the kingdom. Right? That you can. Because you can go and chase money here, and maybe you get it. Maybe you do get it. But then you lose the kingdom, so you got nothing. Or maybe you chase after it, and you don't get it. And you still lose the kingdom. Jesus is saying, go after what will last. Right? And what's really going on here is this. Jesus is involved in insider trading. And he's inviting you in on it. You know, insider trading, remember Martha Stewart a couple years ago went and made cupcakes in jail for a few years because she found out information beforehand and then she acted on it, right? She knew it was going to happen and so she, had, she invested. That's, it's illegal in our economy. It is encouraged in the kingdom. Jesus says, here's some insider trading. Everything you own is going to the landfill, everything, or a garage sale or a church mission sale or something. He's like, no, 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 my kids, are, they'll, they'll, they'll take care of that stuff. Your kids are far less sentimental than you think they are. I know because my dad's like, we're going to leave this to you and your brother. I'm thinking, that's my, that's Susie's sophomore year in college right there. And that's, I don't care if it's grandma's table. I don't have space for grandma's table. I'm not getting a storage unit. It's getting sold. And your kids are the same way. Maybe they'll keep something of yours, you know, a button or something. I don't know. <laughs> What's the point? It's going to the landfill. 
It's, it's gone. It's insider trading, right? And you can be rich towards God. And I know some of you are thinking, if you're visiting, and I know they've got some visitors here, and you're thinking, here, here's the stereotype. Here's the old give more money talk. You're going to bring out the thermometer with the big red 50%. <laughs> All right, we're going to pass the plate. Let me encourage you, visitor. We will not pass the plate. We have not passed the plate. We don't pass the plate. We don't take an offering, All right? Because we don't want your money. We never want a visitor ever giving at this church, ever. So we don't take an offering, right? Our members know how to give. They know where to give. And so we'll leave it at that. So that you can never say that we, all we want is your money, right? And we're not going through a capital campaign, and that's, that's it. What this is, though, for us is a discipleship issue. It's what it is. It is, a, it is an issue that Jesus says, this is what my followers would get. It is one of our core values, okay? And we've been talking about these a lot lately. Wait, I guess that didn't come up, the pictures, but uh, there should be a backdrop there, but you guys will get it. All right, so we have five core values. Scripture, by the way, we've looked at almost all these in the last couple weeks. Isn't it interesting how Jesus keeps teaching on these? That you listen to the Scripture, that you obey the Scripture, that there's prayer, you're engaged with the culture for the sake of the gospel, you're in community, and finally, you steward your resources and gifts. This is what a disciple, a follower does. This is what we're trying to equip, and Jesus keeps hitting these issues. We keep seeing them through Scripture, all right? And that's what this is for us. It's a, it's a discipleship issue. This is why we deal with it. It's why Jesus deals with it. And so here's what we're going to, this kind of, this is where we are as a church. Kind of scary for me to tell you this, but here's where we're at. We moved into this building literally two years ago today, right? I mean, it doesn't feel like that now. It's like, oh, it feels like we've been here for a long time. You've been two years, right? Borrowed a little bit of money. At, right now, we owe on this building $640,000, give or take, all right? That's great, isn't it? We have... Um, about 750 in the bank and change. We're going to pay off the building. All right, we're just going to do it. And here's, here's why. Right. And you're like, that, that leaves $100,000 in the bank, which for some of us would be like, wow, that's a lot. For a church staff of 20, 25 and missions giving, it's actually a little bit scary. But here's why we're going to do it. Number one, we are going to put our money where our mouth is. Because we're not going to just leave money in our barns for a the day that's down the road that we're like, well, you know, maybe one day. Number two, because it's, we, we've seen a little bit of complacency in the leadership because we have enough money that we're like, ah, we're fine. And complacency is bad in the ministry. Everywhere else, fine. It is bad in a church. So we want to put ourselves in a place where we can trust God and he's got to come through. Now, if you want to, you know, we're not asking for you to, again, it's not a capital campaign. You want to give to, to whatever, that's fine. Either way, I'm going to be signing the check and the bank's going to be very sad. And we're going to be very happy. Because everything else, that building over there paid for, everything cash, everything done. We will have zero debt as a church. All right? Okay? So, and here's what else we're going to do. This is, and this is why. We're not just trying to get out of debt, which is good. We want to increase giving. Right now, we give about 300000 a year to missions. Next year, I want to give a half a million. So we're not just, we're going to, we're going to believe that God has said you can be rich in heaven, and we're actually going to act on it. So we're going to up our missions giving by almost 50%, almost 50%. I guess over 50%. I don't know what the math is, but you know what it is. 300 to 500, whatever. <laughs> and then we'll do that more the next year. And, and we're going to trust that God's going to bless. And we're also going to get, and we've been talking about this for a while, we want to get real serious about church planning. All right, and we are in a place now, we can't do anything else in this facility. We are knocking down the last three walls this week that we can knock down 
in this building, up in the kids, because we need a little bit bigger classrooms. That is it. There is no more walls to knock down. There's nothing more we can add. It's time to get into Savannah and plant another church. And we don't know where or what that looks like. And it might be a CBC this, or it might be an independent this. I don't know. But we're going to get serious. And the ability to not have a mortgage payment even if it was a low one, is say, we can start doing that now and we can just see what God's gonna do. We are gonna believe that we can be rich in heaven. And every time you give to this church, we believe it's a good investment because we're not taking money and just kind of spending it at Vegas. We're putting it back out for the kingdom. All right, so that's what's going on. We're trying to believe God and obey what the scripture says. And I know some of you are like, that's kind of risky. What if the economy shifts? That's why I love what Jesus says next. Because some of the elders are are shaking in their boots right now. They're like, what's going to happen, right? So you need to listen to this, elders. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or about your body or what you're going to put on, right? Why? Here's the second time he said it. Life is more than food, the body more than clothing. He says, it's it's a trust issue. Do not be anxious. How much stress and tension does money bring your marriage and your business and in your conflicts with your partners, right? With your kids, sleep loss. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? What if they get in an accident? How are we going to pay for Christmas? How much stress? I mean, I'm telling you, this is where I'm at right now, just as an individual, because I am kind of midlife now. When me and my wife were young, we could live off hot dogs and ramen noodles and it was just us. It was great. But now we got all these people living in our house and they need stuff. It's like $150 worth of school supplies two weeks ago. I'm like, are you kidding me? I used to go to school with a notebook, a trapper keeper, and my lunchbox. That's all I had. <laughs> I had a Velcro. It was really cool. Remember those trapper keepers? Those were great. $150. $80 for this. $25 for this. Yearbooks are $100 these days. I'm like, what in the world is a yearbook? It's like the Constitution. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's been stressful on me. It's been stressful on my wife. And so we're, we're, this is where I am at. I'm just telling you. Right? And I come to this passage and, and it's life is not about stuff. That's right. The big issues of life, the things that will make or break you, are more than the basics. And which is huge for this culture, by the way, because in this culture where Jesus is speaking, it kind of, the basics are kind of it. Because they are living day to day. I mean, it's, it's a country that has been conquered. They are enslaved. They're paying high taxes. They don't own their own stuff. This is, a, this is a poor poverty deal here. So they are living day to day. This is not us where we have affluence. Right, so it's, it's a significant point that he says life is more than stuff. And how, much, how many of us miss life because we're worried about stuff? How much anxiety and stress about getting to the next level, getting promotion, being able to retire, all these things. How many dads are missing a, a catch with their sons or watching cartoons with their, with their kids because they're on the phone and they can't get away from it and they got one more deal and I got one more, just a few more hours, honey. And you're missing life. That's what's going on. How many of us are not enjoying what God has given us now because we can't wait to get the next thing? I gotta have, I gotta have the granite. All I have is Corian. Corian's so 1993. I need the marble. I need the this. I want this. And we can't even enjoy what we have now. Right? Because we're, we're missing life. Or we're so cash-strapped, consumer debt, average credit card for, I think the millennials is like eight grand. I don't know what it is for baby boomers and Gen X's. 
That we can't, if there's a need over here, we can't do anything about it because we're so cast up, we can't sleep. And this is exactly what Jesus said, by the way, is that in that third soil, remember we looked at it, the cares of the world choke out the life of the seed of the vine. We're chasing the, the irony is we're chasing the wonderful life and, and we're missing the wonderful life that's sitting in front of us. Just like George. Remember George in the wonderful life? He, he's, he's lost it. He's about to jump off the bridge until good old Clarence, his guardian angel, jumps in and saves him. And they're having that little conversation and he's like, oh, I haven't earned my wings. He's like, well, I'll help you earn your wings. He's like, how can I help you earn your wings, Clarence? He says, by letting me help you. He says, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't happen to have 8,000 bucks, would you? Clarence says, no, we don't have money in heaven. This is pretty useful down here, bud. Yeah. But in the end of the movie, when does George realize the wonderful life? What is more valuable? Is it the building and loan that he's trying to save or the $8,000 or the life insurance policy? What matters to George at the end is Suzu's petals. It's his, it's his wife and his kids and the drafty old house. And that's when he realizes, and all his friends, that he has a wonderful life. And even Hollywood gets it right sometimes, right? The big things of life that matter are not the, the, the basics, the cars, the houses. And so Jesus is trying to teach this to his men. And he, and he, and he uses nature to illustrate. He says, consider the ravens. No one really considers the ravens. Not in the Baltimore Ravens or the actual physical Ravens. <laughs> because the Ravens are a nasty bird. I, I mean, we like the hummingbirds at our house and we look at the herons and they're pretty. And we look at the osprey, it's pretty, and the hawks. No one likes the Ravens. Ravens are nasty. They're like, they're like rats with wings. That's what they are. They are a scavenger bird. You know what the equivalent is? Is when you go to Walmart and you see that nasty, scrawny bird that's got like a french fry hanging out of its mouth and you're like, that's, that's a gross bird. That is a part of the curse. But what he's saying here is, that, that's the raven of the day. He says, they don't have a storehouse. There's no storehouse of French fries. But God feeds them. God gave that nasty, scrawny Walmart bird that French fry. How much more value are you than that nasty, scrawny Walmart bird? That's his point. I know it's kind of humorous, but that's the idea. I mean, it's, it's almost ludicrous to think that the nasty Walmart bird is the equivalent of a person, but that's the whole point. If God gives him a French fry, some of y'all can't handle me today. <laughs> I don't, missing the point. If the, if the Walmart bird gets fed, then isn't God going to provide for you? Right? He jumps down in 27. The lilies, the flowers. They don't work hard. They're not worried, oh, man, do I have enough leaves? Am I purple enough? Right? I don't know how, long, how much pollen I'm putting out this year. I, they're not worried, but, they, but even Solomon, who was the richest man who ever lived, was not arrayed like one of these. If God so close the grass, which is alive and then dead tomorrow, just boom, and tomorrow's thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? And then he, he says, oh, you of little faith. And why does he say that? Because when you are anxious about stuff, it is a lack of faith. Because what you are saying is, God, I don't believe you'll care for my needs. I don't believe that you are a good father. I don't believe that you're actually gonna be there when I need you. Right? That's, that's a pretty significant accusation against God, isn't it? 
And really, it's illogical. And this is where the world gets us, y'all. This is where the lost world looking at Christians is like, y'all are a bunch of hypocrites. And they're right. Because we would affirm as Christians that, that God created the universe out of nothing, ex nihilo. Uh, he, he spoke in the, in the universe with order came about. And that, that God became a man who was born of a virgin. He was sinless. He did all these miracles, water into wine, fed thousands of people with a lunchable, made the blind see, healed internal bleeding, cast out demons, read people's heart, prophesied the future. All these miracles. And then he died on a cross as our substitute, as our payment, and rose again from the dead on the third day. And now, if we believe in that, if we turn from our sin and believe in that, that he will give us eternal life, that one day you will die and your body will go on the ground, but he will take your, your soul to heaven. And then one day he will come back again and he will take your soul and he will reunite it with a brand new body and you will live with him forever. We would all affirm that that is biblical orthodoxy. And we would say, yes, that's absolutely, that's a, and that's pretty big. But we will not believe that God will take care of our cars and our cornflakes and our kids' college. And the world says, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. You believe all that, but you won't believe that he can provide some checks mix? That's why he says little faith. So it's an issue of do we believe God or not? And it's an issue also of it's ineffective. Worrying about this, striving after this, being anxious. What does he say? Which of you being, being anxious can add a sil- single hour to his span of life? He says, all you're worrying, how much is it helping you? None. You can't even make yourself live one more hour. You can be the healthiest person in this church, exercising two times a day, organic this, GMO this, whatever that even means. And you could be on your third jog of the day and a bluebell ice cream truck can run your tail over. Which is probably a great way to go. You cannot add one moment to your life through worry. It's not going to make cancer go away. It's not going to make the market go up. It's not going to make the hurricane go away, get you the scholarship, get you the job, get you the promotion. What it will do is it'll cause you to lose sleep. It'll give you headaches and IBS. It'll make people, you suspicious of people, It'll make your blood pressure go up. It'll make you depressed, disconnected, leads you to self-medication, watching more HGTV and seeing more how frustrated you are with your house. That's what it'll do. It doesn't work. And so some of us need to believe, I mean really believe what Jesus says, that how valuable we are to him. He says, don't seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink or be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Your father, listen to the tender language of Jesus. Your father, he says it twice, your father. Your father knows you need it. Instead, seek the kingdom. Matthew's version says, seek first the kingdom. And then these things will be added. Fear not, little flock. Again, the tender language of Jesus, the good shepherd. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's given you the kingdom. Everything. That's why he says rich towards God. I was tempted to bring in Monopoly money in here and be like, how valuable is Monopoly money? We'd be like, it's not valuable at all unless you're buying Park Place and and Boardwalk. That's how valuable a trillion dollars is, is in the kingdom. Throw it out there. I read online this week that money in like, I think it's Venezuela is worse less than money 
on like uh, whatever that cheesy video games that some of you guys play is uh, Final Fantasy or something, whatever. In a, in a virtual world, the money is worth more than the real money. And that's the idea. Your trillion dollars is worth zero in the kingdom. But God has given us the kingdom. How valuable are we to him? And how do we know? Because he's already, he's already demonstrated by giving the second person of the Trinity, his son, to live under the curse, be rejected for our sin, to die on a cross, to be forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then rise again. He, that's how committed he is to, to providing what we need. And he delights to do it. So we don't have to doubt whether or not he's going to do it. He's already done. He's already given his, his greatest thing he can give. And so just, let, me, let me just kind of give some closing thoughts when we talk about stewardship, because right? that's what we're talking about, stewardship, this, this fifth speck, this last piece of, of, of being a disciple, of following, what does it look like, right? And, and I, could, you know, I could give a thousand things. For those of you, you know, in the next, you know, area in, our, in our 20 to 30s, we're going to be talking about this a little bit in the fall, one of our weeks of, of money, just giving a biblical worldview of money. But here's three thoughts. Jesus says, in verse 31, seek the kingdom, Right? Seek, make that your priority. Instead of all these things, seek his kingdom. These things will be added to you. Here's the first point. Is don't look how you spend your life. Look how you invest your life. Right? And in seminary, I used, Dr. Hendricks, prof, we used to call him. He, he, and I've shared this illustration before. I don't remember years ago. But he used to tell us this. He said, do not try to make a big splash with your life. Try to make ripples. Right? Be, be a ripple maker. You know, you go down to the, what does it take to make a ripple? Just a little pebble. Just a little. And then those ripples just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going, don't they? A little pebble here, a little pebble there, a little pebble there. And, and, and sometimes some of us are going to make a big splash. So there's going to be the guy that gives the $2 million to the whatever. And we all love that. Woo! That's just one big splash and it's over. Look to make ripples, because ripples end up at the throne of Christ, right? And, and rip, when we talk about stewardship, we're not just talking money. That is one piece. We usually kind of summarize it in your time, your treasure, your talent. That you are a steward. A steward is just someone who, who leases everything, and that the lease will one day be up, and then you'll have to give an account for what you did with the lease, so use your time, your treasure, your talent, and make ripples. And so that might mean that you're going to volunteer for CBC Neighbors, and you're going to come hang out with Tony on Tuesday afternoons, and you're going to read to kids or do whatever. And those are just little ripples. Or maybe you're going to say, okay, finally I'm going to go plugged in, and I'm going to go serve, and I'm going to hold two-year-olds, or I'm going to teach four-year-olds, or I'm going to do whatever. And you think how, how, how silent and how kind of I'm in the back room there, and it's just a ripple going to the throne of Christ, one ripple at a time. One time you read this lesson, one time you hold this crying baby, ripple, right? It's, it's just, that's it. You're going to, you're going to, you see the, the older lady at the Publix and, and she, she doesn't, she, she's not going to be able to take her cart back because she's got a car here. And so you're just going to go, ma'am, may I take that for you? And you just kind of plug it in and that's your time. It took you an extra two minutes, but it's just a little pebble in the lake that goes to the throne of Christ, Right? Ripples. And we're not talking about what you do for a living, how you pay your bills, your vocation. We're talking what about what do you do with your life? And so one of the big, obviously, pieces of, of being rich towards God and investing is generosity, right? Isn't that, he says, sell your possessions. He's telling them, give to the needy. Provide for yourself money bags that do not grow old with treasure in the heavens 
that do not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth. It says, store up your treasure there. It doesn't mean you have to sell your house and live in a tent. That's not the point. The point is, generosity is a mark of a Christian. Right? And here's, here's what I love. And I hear stories about this all the time. Just in the last six months, most of you don't even know this. There's been at least, I think, three people who have needed a car in this church. And someone had an extra car from this church in a different community group. And, and at least three people have been given cars, free and clear, in the last six months in this church. Those are ripples. That's what he's talking about. Right? It's, it's insider trading, isn't it? We know, we know what happens. Randy Alcorn wrote, wrote a great little book, I highly suggest it to you, called The Treasure Principle. Great little book, right? And he says in it, he says, this makes this great statement. I'm convinced that the greatest deterrent to giving or generosity is this, for Christians, the illusion that the earth is our home, right? Because I need bigger barns. So, so we're, just, we're looking for generosity in our lives that requires faith. And so if your generosity does not require you to believe in it, God's going to take care of you, then it may not be from faith. All right? If it doesn't, if it doesn't like require you to trust God in this, it's not be faith. So some of you, maybe, maybe a pebble for you is you spend $45 on lattes a month. And that's probably conservative for some of you. Maybe take that $45 and, and you go out with... with World Vision or Compassion International or one of these organizations and you for 40 bucks can feed a kid, educate a kid. They can hear the gospel and learn to read for your lattes. It's a pebble, right? That's a pebble. You couldn't eat for a day on 40 bucks. They can eat for a month, right? Maybe your community group. Every one of our community groups has been assigned a missionary, whether they know that or not. If you don't know who your missionary is, then your leader is probably slacking and you need to ask them this week. But most of them you, you know and you pray for this missionary. Maybe you could at around Thanksgiving kind of take a little, hey, anyone would do extra offering for this guy because they live in Italy or they live in wherever. And you could send them a nice gift because they're not going to probably be able to afford anything because they don't make a lot of money. That'd be a great ripple for you, a generosity. Again, I'm not talking about give more money to the church. We just assume that if you worship here, you're going to support the ministry here. We just assume that as a, as a follower. So I'm not looking for more money for us. But it might be you as the business guy or the business lady, you're going to meet with some of the younger 20-year-olds or 19-year-olds once or twice a month and let them just kind of pick your brain because you've been in business for 40 years and you got some experience. Or I don't know, but it's your time, your treasure, your talent. And it doesn't have to be at the church and through the church. This is please a huge thing for us. We don't need more to manage. We don't want more to manage. We can't even get our air conditioners all working on one Sunday morning, okay? So if you feel called to go do something, go do it. And we'll pray for you. And, and just because we don't like throw a bunch of money at it doesn't mean we don't think it's important. We just, everything we put money in, we got to manage. We got to lead. We got to be over. So I would much rather you go donate your car and us not even know about it. I would much rather you go start a Bible study at your office that we don't really need to be involved. That's what we do as Christians. It doesn't have to be a CBC thing. Right? You go where God has called you in your neighborhood. You started this. You do with that. Go do it. Right? Just invest your life. Don't spend your life. My goal for everyone in this church is that one day you will stand before Jesus and he will hear, well done. Enter into the joy of your master. Here's a big old mansion on Heaven Avenue. And I'll come visit you and we'll have lunch. Right? That's my goal for everybody. I'll be cheering you on. That's, that's my job. 
right? So first thing, look how you could invest it. And, and look and pray about that, you as a couple, right? Number two is, is big. Make God your treasure. The point is this. Your heart will follow what you treasure, whatever it is, right? And so if you treasure, uh, you know, power, if you treasure money, if you treasure that sixth vehicle, then greed will take over the kingdom. If you treasure pleasure and feeling good and, and all this thing, and then your boyfriend, then, then you're going to denigrate into kind of this self-indulgent lifestyle. So if you make God your treasure, your heart will follow your treasure. And then you'll be content even if you lose whatever you have because you have the most important thing, which is your treasure, which is God. And that's why he says, wherever your treasure is, your heart will be. And so, so for some of you, for some of you young folks, you're like, I'd love to start being generous, but we got all this debt and we got all this thing. Here's what I would say. You need to trust God and start when you get paid the first X percentage. I usually start with 10 because the Old Testament tithe is a good model. I think the New Testament goes above and beyond that, but I think 10% is a good model for a budget. That you say, we're gonna set 10% aside for the church. Boom, and you're like, I can't afford that. I hear you. But here's what I believe, that God knows how to handle your 90% better than you do 100%. And I promise you this, I've been doing this my entire life since I became a Christian and I have never missed a meal. And I've never had a collector call me and say, hey, you owe us this because you haven't been paying. And I made a lot less money when I was in seminary with two kids and all these things. I promise you, I just trust God enough, he's gonna meet your need. And so if you need to come in, we're gonna do a financial peace thing in the fall. Maybe you need to get into that. But it's giving off the top because when you give at the end, you have like six bucks left and you're debating whether you should buy a Big Mac or give to Jesus. You give off the top and you just trust him with the rest. Teach your kids to do this, y'all. If they make $20, teach them to give $2, right? Because you think, well, you know, they don't wanna need to give their $2. If they don't give their two now, they're not gonna give their 200 later. And what we wanna build is a... a a young people that aren't so consumeristic. It's about them. It's about serving them, but that they're givers. That's what we're trying to raise is more generous people. So teach them at a young age how important and get excited about it. When they do it, celebrate it, right? That, that's what we want. Those are ripples that are going on there, right? I got more to say, but I'm running out of time. Here's the last piece, right? And, and it's, it's, it's important, y'all, because this is a, it's not a gospel issue from the perspective of it saves us, but God, be, who was rich, became poor so that you could become rich. And now he says, now you model what I have done. The people of God are a generous people. They have been forever. They should, they should continue to. Read the book of Acts, Acts 2. They're selling everything they have and giving it to each other and sharing it. It's radical, and it, it rocks the world. You are a super generous church. So this is not reactionary. A lot of times churches talk about money as a, oh yeah, we're gonna get power bills. This is, it's great to celebrate from a position of like, we're great, just keep going, right? And here's the last point is, is just don't wait. You can read the last part of this chapter. It's a, it's a parable about Jesus saying basically be ready because you don't know when he's coming back. Right? It's, the, it's the servants waiting for the master. He might come at nine at night, he might come at two in the morning. And the point is, don't wait, because you don't know when he's coming back. Right? And, and, and you may be 72, you're like, man, I have not done anything. I have not invested in the kingdom. I'm 72. Well, you know what? You're still alive. The bluebell truck is not outside yet. When's the best, you know, the old saying, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? When's the next best time? Today. Start today. Investing in the kingdom. Ripples. Ripples all the way to the throne, right? 
Jesus says this in verse 43. Blessed is the servant who his master find doing so, being faithful when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. The one who has been faithful with a little will be in charge of much. That's the idea. You can be rich here, rich in the kingdom. You can be poor here, rich in the kingdom. You you can't necessarily fix the first, but you can do the second. Right? Maybe it's a stereotypical talk, y'all. Maybe it is. But Jesus speaks a lot of money. And he wants us to be a generous people. So just, you pray about where God would want you to be generous and then you be generous in it. We're gonna be generous as a church. We help a lot of people in this neighborhood. We send a lot of money overseas. We wanna continue to do so. And we will as long as God blesses us. But he blesses us as he blesses you, as he puts it on your heart. So that's what we want. That's what we're asking. That's what we're, we're believing God for. And we believe it's a great investment and we want to be a church. We don't want to be a rich church financially, but we do want to be a rich church, rich in God. That's our goal, right? And that's us. That's what, if you're a part here, that's what we are. Let's worship. Why don't you guys stand with me? Let me pray. Father, I pray uh, just you continue to bless financially as you have so that we can bless others. I pray that some of us have been putting hope in stuff that you would show us how foolish that is. Give us a heart to be generous. Make, let us make you our treasure, like we sang earlier, how rich a treasure we possess in Jesus Christ. Um, and just let our heart follow our treasure. Uh, we pray you would do that 